Hello and welcome to our special COVID-19 edition of Fire Away, Rudner Law's online show focused on the employment law issues that matter to you. My name is Stuart Rudner. I'm an employment lawyer and mediator and your host of Fire Away. This is season three, episode two. Uh, it will be an interesting one as we deal with all of the implications of COVID-19 in the workplace. Just a reminder that Fire Away streams live online every month and episodes are always available on our YouTube channel, our Facebook page, LinkedIn, and on our website. If you're watching live and you have a question, feel free to post comments on Facebook or YouTube or tweet us at Rudner Law. I can tell you we've already got a few questions in the, in the hopper, so we'll try to get to those. But uh, given that we seem to be spending every waking moment answering questions about COVID-19 in the workplace, I'm sure there's lots more out there. So feel free to send us your questions and we'd be happy to answer them. So since uh, the world has turned upside down and we're doing everything differently, we're doing the show differently as well. For today's episode, I'm not. I'm joined by not one, not two, but three people. First of all, I'm very excited to be joined by Richa Sandil, who is a staff lawyer at the Scarborough Community Legal Services, practicing in employment and human rights law. Uh, I've known Richa for many years, and I'm thrilled that she's joining me today. Uh, originally, she was the, the temp that never left at my previous firm, and <laughs> is now a very successful lawyer, and she'll be bringing us particular expertise on the human rights side. So Richa, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Very excited to be here. I think it's gonna be great. And thank you for your flexibility as well, because of course, originally we were gonna be talking about the Human Rights Tribunal and all of the issues that surround that, which we'll get back to at some point. But for today, we're focusing on COVID-19. And because I think we may need it, I brought in reinforcements. So I'm very happy to have two of the members of the Better Law team join me as well. First of all, we have Nadia Zaman. Nadia, thanks for joining us. I'm really happy to be joining as well. And we also have Brittany Taylor. Thanks very much for having me, Stuart. No, I think this is going to be great. There are so many implications and I mean, I think it's fair to say our world has been turned upside down over the last couple of weeks, certainly the last few days. As of a few hours ago in Ontario, we're in a state of emergency. Uh, governments have ordered the closure of many businesses, including restaurants, bars, daycares, etc. The College of Dentists has ordered, or not ordered because they don't have that power, but uh, directed that dentists should only be doing emergency services. So we work with a lot of dental clients who have had to either shut their doors or dramatically reduce what they're, what they're offering to the public. The reality is a lot of people are, are or are going to be sent home. Uh, and they don't really understand what their rights and their obligations are. They don't understand if they're going to be paid. Uh, many of us are wondering how to handle all this, and that includes employers who don't understand what they can and can't do. They send people home. Can they reduce hours? Uh, can they refuse to allow someone to come to work if they have been traveling, if they're exhibiting symptoms, but not exhibiting symptoms? Uh, the bottom line is the economy has been devastated. We're getting questions and answers and things are changing by the hour. Uh, so we are working with our clients, feels like day and night, to guide them through this. There are lots of questions. And the problem, of course, is we're dealing with competing duties. There is duties to keep a safe work workplace. There's a duty not to infringe upon human rights. There are contractual duties. Uh, there are legislative and statutory duties to your employees. Not always easy to navigate. Uh, especially when the situation is changing seemingly by the hour. So that's why we have three people that are going to be commenting on a lot of the issues that are arising. 
I will do my best to uh, steer us through this conversation and cover as many points as we can, including questions that might come in as we go. So let's get right to it. And one of the questions that we got on Twitter uh, is the question that really, in one form or another, we've been getting for the last several days, which will people lose their wages if they are not working because of the virus? So Brittany, I think you were gonna take the lead on this one. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think you're absolutely right, Stuart. This is, this is the first question that I think both um, employers and employees are, are wondering. If for employers, what's my obligation to pay employees? And obviously for employees, what's, what's gonna happen to, to me and my livelihood? So I think let's start from the basic position, which is that employees usually have a contractual right to attend at work and to get paid for that work. Um, so that really brings to mind the fact that employers cannot arbitrarily refuse to allow an employee to work or to send them home without pay. So in a case like that, where that would happen, where an employer would choose to send an employee home without pay, that could potentially give rise to a claim for constructive dismissal, which would then give recourse to the employee um, for entitlements relating to that, that dismissal. So the unique situation with, with COVID-19 is that we have to keep in mind that employers also have health and safety obligations that they have to balance against their contractual obligation to allow employees to come to work. So where there is going to be a legitimate safety reason that would allow an employer to prevent an employee to come from work, they are going to be permitted to do so because they have to keep in mind the health and safety, not just of the worker who is being sent home, but of all other workers who are in the environment. So just a few examples of where that might occur um, in businesses that are still open, of course, we've got employees who might be returning from travel outside of Canada. And as we know, and Nadia is going to talk about it in more detail, um, there is massive travel restrictions right now with the Prime Minister recommending that nobody travel outside of Canada for the time being. Um, other situations might be employees who are experiencing symptoms of the disease or are diagnosed with, with COVID-19, or even just individuals who have been in contact with people who have traveled outside of Canada or who are sick or are self-quarantining. Um, those are all situations in which an employer's uh, duty to provide a safe workplace for its other employees might be triggered um, and might require the employer to send the employee home. So then, of course, let's get back to the main question is, well, do they have to pay them for that period of time? So the, the legal answer to that question is that employers do not have to pay employees when they are being sent home for legitimate safety reasons. Um, if in other situations the employee is choosing to remain at home, so they are self-isolating, they need to provide childcare, uh, same thing would apply. So yes, the employer might have an obligation to provide the employee with a leave of absence, so they can't um, act against them by making that request. And Rich, I think, is going to talk about that in more detail. But they don't have to pay them for that time. It's an unpaid leave. Uh, the only situation really where an employer is going to have to pay an employee that they are um, that is staying at home or that they are sending home for legitimate safety reasons um, is if there is paid sick leave in place already in the workplace that the employer is going to comply with. Um, if an employer is sending an employee home without a safety reason behind it, so if they are just arbitrarily making the decision to send the employee home, then absolutely that's going to be the employer's responsibility. That's their choice that they are making, uh, and they're going to have to continue to pay the employee. So in terms of other options that are available for employees who may be feeling the financial strain during this time, 
Actually, absolutely, just, they yeah. should be looking to see you if... For one second uh, before you move Oh, on. yeah, absolutely. Because uh, the other question that you would you know as well as I do, the other question we're getting a lot is if it's not the employer's choice, but it's either the government's choice or some governing body who has said you must shut down, uh, then how does that change your answer? I think the answer is the same. I think it, it's still going to be an, an unpaid leave, um, but there may be options available for the employee in that case. Um, there may be uh, paid sick days available. They may be able to use their vacation. Uh, they may be able to apply for EI benefits. So we know that, uh, and I think some, Rich is going to talk about this or Nadia is going to talk about this later, but there, there have been changes made to EI to make that available, um, make that available for more employees and more accessible by removing waiting periods. Um, but yeah, I think unfortunately the answer remains the same. Um, right now there is no paid leave in Ontario provided either for people who are sick or for people who need to quarantine or in situations where a business is being shut down. But that may change. Sir, you had mentioned that things are changing by the hour. That's right. absolutely the case. So we may see um, paid leaves being introduced in the future. We don't know at this point. We know that there may be job protected leave introduced. That, that's been kind of teased by the government. And so hopefully we'll see some more details on that. But at this point, it's not clear that there's going to be any um, paid options available aside from the, the federal employment insurance program. Right. And we do have, uh, as you pointed out to me this morning, we do have paid leave in Alberta uh, for 14 days. Yes. And it's, you know, it's really interesting because it, it sounds so great. Uh, but if you actually look into it, it's, it's not actually clear if what they mean is that there's going to be some type of total wage replacement, like that the employer is going to be covering the employees during this time, or if they're just referring to the employment insurance program. So it's, it's not totally clear yet what it is that the intention is there, but uh, definitely you're, you're right. We have seen a statement out of Alberta that, you know, no, we want to make sure that employees don't have to make the choice between staying home because they're sick uh, and losing income. Yeah, and in there, the, the, the press release, they also say that this should not impact employers. So it's really not clear who's paying for it, which I guess gets back to Right. We don't have the details. Exactly. Whatever it is, <laughs> it may well change between now and the time we finish talking about it. So uh, we'll <laughs> it's very true. Uh, but just getting back to what you were saying, I mean, the reality is at this point, and I know this is frustrating and, and distressing for many, you may well be off work without pay, and we don't know how long that's going to last at this point. And just to your point about uh, we've seen a lot of our clients who are really trying to help their employees however they can. So they're trying to do things like making sick leave more accessible, vacation pay, even advancing vacation pay. So if people have, have not accrued vacation entitlement yet, uh, but they're advancing vacation, advancing sick days. I even had one client who said they were just going to offer loans uh, to their employees. Uh, and right. the one point that we've been making to our clients is, is that's great. And I think it's really... It's really nice to see employers who do care and who are trying to help. Uh, at the same time, especially for small businesses, this is gonna impact your bottom line. So you've got to protect yourself. And one of the things that we have tried to help our clients do is if you're gonna make a loan of any kind, make sure it's documented properly and make sure that there is an obligation to repay. So in the worst case example, you advance two weeks of vacation to someone and they resign to go work somewhere else. They've got to repay that. And the same thing for a loan. So. We're certainly encouraging people to be uh, to be humane and to help out, but you've also got to protect yourselves at the same time. The other yeah, thing that absolutely. employers, the other thing that employers can do is.
provide extended benefits. I mean, if that is if that is possible, and that could also encourage some employees to self-report their uh, symptoms or self-monitor themselves and actually stay at home because then they can avail themselves of their benefits. Yeah, and the only, the only thing I'll add to the loan situation, and that's that's from the perspective of both employers and employees, is just like you said, Stuart, picking up on it, be careful to document that. Um, and there's very specific requirements on ESA for any kind of wage deductions, for example, if they used to do that or anything along those lines. So just, yeah, be careful um, if that's the case or if you are loaning employee um, and subsequently choose to get that repaid through the wage deduction. Like, just be careful to, to document that and to agree to that in advance. And similarly, anyone in, who might be agreeing to that arrangement with their employer, just it's great and it's amazing, but just see, take care to seek legal advice before entering into that kind of arrangement as well. Yes, thank you for reminding everyone to seek legal advice, which is sounds <laughs> self-serving coming from four lawyers, but yeah. it is very the reality is everything is changing by the minute. And frankly, even some of the materials that were put out yesterday and were accurate yesterday may not be accurate today. So, you know, I know at Rudner Law, we're trying to have a blog. We're going to have a running blog with updates, you know, probably every few hours. Uh, and our social media is going to be, we're going to do our best to keep on top of things. But if you have a situation, you're better to get the advice. And to Richard's point, document everything. Even if, it's, even if it's you're sending people home or reducing hours, whatever it is, you don't want there to be any ambiguity. So just make sure everything is documented properly as, as we go. Uh, so that's a great point. Uh, and Richie, I know you're going to talk about sort of employment insurance, but uh, Bernie, was there anything else you want to add on sort of being paid or should we segue into employment insurance? Uh, the only thing I would add, and I, I'm not sure if we, if, if, um, if not uh, touching on this one, she mentioned the supplemental benefits, but that is an option that's available for employers is to provide a top up on EI benefits to their employees. So then the employer's not responsible for the entire cost. The, the federal government is assisting with part of it, um, but uh, you know that can provide some security to to employees and is an option that's available to to employers. And I, I guess um, I'll be talking about this later when we're talking about layoffs. But it has the added benefit of an, of a, allowing an employer to extend the layoff period if they need to beyond the 13 weeks that's um, that's set out in the Employment Standards Act. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great point and probably a great segue, Rich, if you want to talk more about uh, EI and uh, other supports available. Sure, Stuart. So, I mean, I guess picking up a little bit on what Brittany was saying earlier in terms of what we just saw introduced in Alberta for, you know, 14 days paid sick leave. Um, great. But again, like she said, there, we're, we're dealing with a lot of lack of clarity right now in terms of legislation. And in terms of the way things are going to change and um, even some of the changes that are coming in like Alberta and um, to a certain extent even employment and insurance and and the the amendments that have come in recently and it's just it's a developing situation people need to keep that in mind um, as we go along because everyone's trying to figure out how to deal with this right now government lawyers lawmakers included um, so in so the actual supports available, so let's say you're somebody who has, uh, and I'm talking from the employee perspective, being uh, old, you need to quarantine, um, have symptoms, or you've been exposed to symptoms, of, uh, to someone with symptoms of coronavirus. Um, I'm assuming at this point, this would also include those people who have uh, returned from travel for, uh, and, need to, and are being told to self-quarantine for 14 days, or is particularly if their employer is requiring them to 
quarantine for 14 days or work from home. Um, well, if you're suffering a loss of pay from any of those situations, the uh, government has stepped in, the federal government has stepped in and made it easier for someone in that particular context to apply for employment insurance. Um, there, And that's under the category of EI sick benefits. So anyone who may or may not know about employment insurance knows that if you need to be on a sick leave um, and and you lost you lose income um, for a period you're entitled to a certain number of weeks of employment insurance benefits um, as long as your employer issues you your record of employment um, there should be a code uh, d on there for illness or injury um, and once that's processed it's normally about a two-week waiting period before you actually start EI benefits um, or one week period um, in I think in terms of sick benefits but in, ter in terms of the actual uh, waiting period that has now been waived um, and in fact Service Canada has set up a specific dedicated phone line um, for EI, uh, EI benefits um, and claims that are being made right now pursuant to the coronavirus so anyone who is specifically affected by um, a quarantine or a leave relating to the coronavirus and is making a claim for that purpose um, I, I'm happy to give the number if it's helpful but that there is that one particular phone line that has been set up. Um, I'm oh, in do, you want to, do you want to give the number? Uh, yeah, sure. It is uh, 1-833-381-1800. Thanks. And actually, I just want to jump in and make one point because I've seen this happen actually long before um, COVID-19 where an employer issued a record of employment because the employee was off on sick leave and the employee completely freaked out and thought they'd been fired uh, because they were on sick leave. Uh, and I've had employers actually push back, including the last, uh, last few hours actually, saying, well, we can't issue a record of employment. We're gonna be, you know, they're gonna think that we're firing them. So I think it's important everyone understands record of employment is issued whenever there is an interruption of earnings, yeah. not interruption yeah. of employment. Uh, so especially in the current context, that's really important for people to understand. Record of employment is the tool you need to use and that's how you get your EI benefits. So you should not be upset if you if you receive one and as an employer, if you're working with a payroll company, they'll know how to do this, but you, your obligation, if you interrupt someone's earnings, is to issue the record of employment. Yeah, exactly. And I think if you're issuing them electronically, which a lot of employers do, it's, it's within five days of the interruption of earnings. So please do that um, if you're an employer and um, you know, make it easy as well. Cause I have, so I, I work with a lot of uh, low income vulnerable clients as well. And, and one thing I'm seeing very quickly, even outside of the coronavirus context is just, it can be some people just make it a run around for people to get records of employment, even in a normal course of termination. Um, you know, if some people, some workers may or may not have access to, online service canada accounts right um but you know in, if if you especially if you issue paper records of employment in this time specifically please please don't you know do your diligence as an employer and and issue records of employment as soon as possible as soon as you identify an interruption of earnings um because i think the last thing you know anyone wants to be dealing with is request for record of employment through service canada um it, and, 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 you know, anyone getting delayed in for any reason in receiving EI benefits, because that's going to be a huge support for a lot of people whose earnings are going to unfortunately be affected by this crisis. Um, and, the, and the flip side I was going to say as well, because I often get this, 
where people are upset because they were let go months ago. They still don't have the record of employment because they're waiting for something in the mail. And yeah. as you said, it can be issued electronically. So if you've been laid off, then contact Service Canada. They'll open up a file for you. Uh, but they can also tell you if a record of employment has been issued electronically. So don't don't sit around waiting for something to come in the mail before you contact uh, Service Canada to get to start the process going. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And talk to you. I think the process is talk to your employer first, um, make the request, and if not, then obviously talk to Service Canada if they identify that there is a need that there's a missing ROE, then take those steps. Um, I mean, the other sort of supports that are available really are going to come from the perhaps the announcements uh, provincially for funding um, that came this morning. There's there's a you know there's a provincial release relief fund um, that was announced. I know a lot of that was geared at least in uh, the premier's announcements towards uh, healthcare services, rightly so, but. We don't know, since provinces are responsible for employment, we don't know how much of that might go towards any additional small business supports. Um, we Also, the federal government has announced funding, which, again, we don't know where these things are going to go, but keep an eye out for that, because like I said at the beginning, this is a develop, developing situation. The last thing I will say um, that it sort of occurred to me is like in the situation that you, know, you are someone who has to come into work, and I, I'm speculating here, but if you come in, and you um, actually contract symptoms of coronavirus. Um, I don't know, but there might be a basis there if you contract it in the workplace for you to make a claim for WSIB benefits. Um, that because it is it is something that you did contract in the course of your work, and it, that that's I'm not going to be the one to to start that there. But that that is something that theoretically I can see possibly happening um, as a result of this, if people are coming in and then they actually end up getting the coronavirus, which is also, again, something in the broader health and safety considerations that we're talking about for employers and employees to consider when, when they're thinking about, you know, whether or not they should keep people coming into work. Yeah, that's uh, a great point. Um, so yeah, unless you, want, unless you have anything else to add on that, I think we should cover the, the other big topic we're dealing with, with which is layoffs. Uh, especially in light of the fact that, I mean, A, we're being told to, to self-isolate and maintain social distance, and many businesses have been ordered to essentially close or at least dramatically reduce their services. Uh, we're going to see more and people, more and more people who are either sent home entirely or partially. Uh, and the questions we're getting from the employer side is, A, can we do it? B, if so, how do we do it? Uh, and the question we get from both sides is, and if we do it, you know, how do we pay them or are, are we entitled to be paid as employees? So uh, I know Brittany was going to take us through a, a bit of that. And uh, one of the important points I'll throw in just because it goes along with what we just said is whatever you do, make sure it's documented clearly uh, because I'm seeing a, a lot of people we're talking to have already, you know, we, we get the call or the email after it's already happened. So they say, I've already sent everybody home. Uh, and then we've got to try to backfill and fix things and, and make sure they didn't do anything they shouldn't have. But it's hard to know when there's no documentation. So that's my two cents worth. But Brittany, you're going to take us through that in a bit more detail. Yeah, absolutely. And so just to, to cover the legal basis here. So under the Employment Standards Act, there there is a section on temporary layoffs. There is provision for that. So the, the traditional layoff is a period of up to 13 weeks in a 20-week period. 
in certain circumstances, that layoff period can be extended up to 35 weeks in a 52-week period, uh, one of the circumstances being where the employer is providing a, a top-up, so additional benefits to the employee, uh, as I mentioned earlier. Um, so during this time, the employees, they don't, they remain employed. So their employment is not terminated. So there's no termination pay owing. There's no severance pay owing. Um, they're entitled to be paid their wages up to their last day worked, but that's it. So during the, the layoff period, it's, it's very much like an unpaid leave, um, assuming that the employee is not working, right? Because layoff can also include a reduction in hours. Um, but it has to be a really significant reduction. So we're talking about a situation in which an employee is earning uh, at least 50% or less than what they were earning in their regular work week uh, previous to that. Um, so if, if the reduction is not going to meet that threshold, it's not going to constitute a layoff. And that's, that's a whole different conversation about wanting to reduce employees' hours. Um, but the layoff can mean both reduction uh, if it meets that 50% threshold or just completely stopping work altogether and sending employees home. So the biggest mistake that we find employers making is assuming that because these provisions are in the Employment Standards Act, that there is an automatic right to lay off employees. And that's, that's simply not the case. So in order for an employer to have the ability to lay off their employees, there has to be an agreement between the employer and the employee that allows the employer to do that, that gives the employer that power. Uh, otherwise, if an employer just goes ahead and lays off its employees, you're again looking at a situation of constructive dismissal where the employee may be able to come after the employee claiming their entitlements on dismissal as if they've been terminated. Yeah, um, so it hasn't changed. Yeah. <laughs> this is one thing that we deal with all the time, which is that employers yeah. that they have the right to just change the contract. And what we often say to our employer clients is the same way you wouldn't go to your landlord and say, instead of paying you $5,000 a month, I'm going to start paying you 3000 from now on. You can't go to your employees and say, we're cutting your salary, we're reducing your hours or anything like that. So this is one thing that hasn't changed at all. But of course, we're seeing it in the spotlight now because people want to know can I send them home or can I reduce their hours? So I guess it's a critical point and uh, just a, a bit of a plug for our services as well. One of the things that we make sure to do in, when we draft employment contracts for our employer clients is to put provisions in that give employers the right to make some of these changes to temporarily lay people off, do things that they otherwise would not be, not be lawfully entitled to do. So check your contracts, but unless it has provisions like that, then as Brittany said, you don't automatically have the right to leave people off. Right. But it's not hopeless. The situ this situation can be salvaged. So um, it, we're, we're going to have a lot of people, we've already have a lot of people contacting us saying, okay, I've checked my contract. I don't have the ability to lay off employees. What now? I still have to close my business. Um, so it is possible to ask an employee to agree to a temporary layoff uh, right now, even if you haven't done it in the past. Um, but it is really key that the employee has to agree. So if the employee is refusing to agree to the layoff, then as an employer, your only option may be to consider dismissal, uh, in which case, of course, that would trigger your entitlements as an employer, um, just like in any ordinary situation. Um, one of the questions that I get a lot is, isn't there an exception to this where there's, you know, financial difficulty or where the, uh, the in this situation where they're being ordered to close? Uh, and the answer is no, um, that the, these provisions are there to protect employees in all circumstances. So unless the government tells us otherwise, 
right now you still do need agreement from an employee to be able to lay them off. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a really important point. So thanks for uh, reminding us of that. Uh, now I should have, uh, when we we're talking about vacation days, I should have gotten to one of the questions that we received earlier, uh, which is, can I be forced to use vacation days if I'm not going to work? Who wants to tackle that one? Yeah, yeah I can take that. I can, I, oh, oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Nadia. <laughs> you can all just say it together if you want. I think it's a one-word answer. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Right. Yeah, three talking heads saying no all at once. I think that'll that'll clarify it. It actually would be fun if one of you said yes, but in any event, <laughs> the simple answer is no. I mean, I think a lot of employers are trying to help their employees by letting them use vacation days, but you can't be forced to. So that's, that is actually a fairly simple answer to that question. And just to add to that, I mean, again, if you're wherever possible, work from home, I think might solve a lot of this if you are absolutely able to and have that. I think everyone should be exploring every single possible alternative right now um that's just my that's just my thought on that as well no i think that's a great point i mean some businesses have that ability runner law is a perfect example and uh, Brittany, i'm assuming that was rocket and theta we heard barking in the background oh my gosh yes i'm so sorry they just got back from their walk <laughs> they're so excited that's one of the side effects of people working from home is you're going to have Dogs, kids, speaking of the devil, dogs, kids, et cetera, uh, <laughs> going to be the new reality for a while. So, yeah, Rich, a great point. I mean, if you can allow your employees to work from home, it just makes so much more sense. The bigger challenge is, is the industries, especially retail, where it's not possible. Yeah. And I think that's where it becomes especially important for employers to consider all the alternative options that they can provide their employees with. So if work from home is not possible, you know, if they can supplement their uh, benefits, if they can allow them to take vacation time, uh, you know, some employers might be might be in a position to actually provide paid leave. So yeah. they should consider all options available to them and uh, ensure that, you know, employees are able to avail of those options. Even yeah. if, I mean, someone is, if, even if your boss is requiring you because you have to go into work, right? Let's say you're in one of those essential services situations, like you're in a pharmacy, for example, or you're interacting with the public, um, or conversely, if you're an employer who just is providing a kind of service that you have no choice, you have to have people in, and you're not affected by the shutdown that was announced this morning, um, you know, try as much as possible to make the workplace safe. There are, you know, if, if it's absolutely necessary that everyone needs to be at work, okay. But, you know, we can still try as much as possible to maintain that social distancing space that the government is asking us to maintain, to make sure that the workplace is clean, that it's safe, that there's safety measures in place to protect the people that are actually on staff. Shoppers is a really great example. They, I was reading an announcement from them last night that, you know, they're, they're asking people to make sure that they maintain social distancing when they come in to do their shopping, right? And you know, have gloves on hand, have um, you know, have, have cleaners on hand, um, make it easy for people to wipe down their work surfaces, right? That's I think these are all things that are part and parcel of the big health and safety implications of this. And there's small steps if we're all in a situation where either you know you can't afford to shut down or you can't shut down or you have to go in. Even transportation, like I'm going to, again, go out on a limb here, but if, if somebody's required to use public transport to come into work, can the employer work with them to, and it's too costly to shut down, can the employer work with them 
to come up with alternative modes of transportation to work if that helps and if that in you know if if that uh if, if that promotes safety in the workplace as a result of this person coming in not having potentially had as much of an exposure to the virus being on public transport these are all small things that we can do as part of the duty to keep our workplaces safe and duty to have a safe workplace as employees in this time of crisis. Yeah, no, I think that's a, that's a great point as well. And it kind of relates to the next topic we're going to cover, which is travel. Um, I know it's a little bit after one o'clock, but I think we can, uh, we've got a few other important areas we want to cover. So we'll try to do it uh, efficiently, but we want to talk a bit about travel and then some human rights considerations. So uh, uh, Nadia, I think you were going to talk about this, but this is the other question we're getting a lot of is I have an employee who was traveling, just got back, or you know, it's supposed to be March break now. It doesn't really feel like it, but we have a lot of people who either are away now or were briefly away and had to rush back. But uh, the question we're getting from our clients is, you know, can they come to work and we refuse to let them come to work, et cetera. So maybe you can take us through how to, how to handle that. For sure, yes. So the Public Health Agency of Canada has declared all travel outside of Canada as high risk. And Prime Minister Justin Trudeau also recently announced major travel restrictions. So Canadians and permanent residents will be allowed to return, but they have been urged to do so quickly while they still can. And I mean, there are there are some exceptions there, but anyone returning to Canada must self-monitor for symptoms and should also consider self-isolation for 14 days as an additional precaution. So based on these safety concerns, employers would likely be able to justify requiring employees who have returned to Canada to either work remotely if they can do so or take a leave of absence, as well as recommending that they self-quarantine. One of the questions I've had a few times is whether employers can actually dictate that their employees not travel at all. And I'm not talking about, talking about business travel, personal travel. Uh, so what about that? So, yeah, that's a great question. So, no, employers cannot, uh, you know, ban employees from personal travels. But what employers can do is they can ask employees to report where they're going, uh, you know, what their plan is uh, in terms of returning um, back to Canada or when they intend to return. Uh, and as well, they should inform employees that upon, upon return, they would have to self-quarantine for 14 days. And if remote work is not available, they might let employees know that they might have to take unpaid leave of absence. So essentially, the travel is at their own risk. Yeah, and, I, and that's a perfect way to put it. You can't control someone's off-duty conduct or limit their travel, but they may not be able to come back and come back to work. So I think that's a really important point. And in light of this, I think what employers should consider if they have uh, concerns about employee travel, especially, they should consider implementing travel policies in writing. And I know we're working with some clients uh, relating to related to that. And it would be really important to have it documented and communicated to employees so that they're aware of uh, what the expectations are and uh, so that they can have a streamlined process to deal with the situation. Yeah, I mean, as it often comes down to, it's having really good policies in place. No one, no one anticipated this. Uh, but I think a lot of businesses have policies in place that would cover situations along these lines, not quite the same. Uh, so if you don't already, now is, now is a good reminder to have policies in place about 
travel, about you know, pandemic, sickness, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so one of the other topics we want to talk about, mm -hmm. you're going to take the lead here, is human rights. Uh, one of the points that's been made, I think, a few times is you can send somebody home if there are legitimate reasons for it. One of the concerns that we're seeing is what constitutes a legitimate reason, and it shouldn't be based upon stereotypes or assumptions or race or a country of origin or things like that. Uh, but Richard, maybe you can take us through some of the issues that are arising and how people should be handling them. Sure. So, I mean, there are a lot. Um, I think never has the duty to accommodate perhaps been more relevant or important than this entire situation. Um, I could spend another hour just talking about the different nuances that might be engaged first in, in a situation where a person is sick or is perceived sick or might have a family member who's sick or you know so on and so forth for the short purposes of what we have right now i think primary obligations under the human rights code have not changed an employer has an obligation to not discriminate on the basis of a uh, protected characteristic including a perception that someone has a protected characteristic right so those are two big things um so what that means is that if a person, like disability is definitely a ground that's engaged under the code right now. So very, just, we don't go into it too much. Straightforward, everyone should know that if an employee has, is sick, they, an employer has the obligation to, and I think the OHRC has specifically uh, said in their recent policy position that coronavirus counts as a disability under the code. Um, it's included in this definition. Um, so, you know, Going back to it, if someone is sick and with this particular kind of disability under the code, employers have to accommodate their needs arising from that up to undue hardship. Um, already, I mean, that at this point, given the quarantines that are going on, that might already be happening. But, you know, that's something to keep in mind. Talking about other situations where accommodation might come into play. Um, one particular situation is if someone has family status related needs, right? So. Schools are shut right now. Daycares are shut right now. Um, I, I think at this point, it's fair to say that there's going to be many, many people who are going to suddenly need to be at home to care for their kids. Um, I know Stuart- Or their dogs, as the case may be. Huh? Or their dogs, as the case or may be. Or their dogs. <laughs> right? Uh, so, I mean, if, if you are in that current child relationship, that's the definition of family status under the code. Um, if you have needs arising from that, then, and you communicate that to your employer, so make sure to communicate those needs to your employer. Don't just automatically assume that just because daycare is shut, people will automatically know that you have a, have a need. Provided you communicate that need, um, your employer has to make all, you know, sort of reasonable procedural inquiries to see what kinds of options are available to you in the situation to accommodate you so that you can carry out your work. And you and or you can be at home. Um, whether that what that's going to look like is is going to depend on different situations. But an employer has to engage um, in that discussion with you and work to accommodate you in a way that works for both sides um, as best as possible up until the point of undue hardship. So that's important. You know, that goes back to my point earlier about working from home, for example, where that's possible, particularly where somebody has a child or even perhaps an elderly parent. Um, that's affected by this, um, they need to make sure that they're working with that person um, once they know of their needs to accommodate them and, and explore all options available when a human rights ground is engaged. Um, 
So that's, that's one thing. I mean, an interesting point also might be what about those employees who have um, meant like, like anxiety or uh, OCD conditions that might cause them to be a little bit more fearful of coming into the workplace um, when they might already have some level of discomfort with cleanliness or services like that. That is something that it's a nuanced issue, but it's something that we need to think about, right? Because it's not just people that have COVID, it's, it's people who have pre-existing conditions who might also be affected by that. I mean, my argument in that situation would be if there's something like that and it's legitimate um, and this person might have this mental health disability, that's, uh, we, we need to be mindful of it. that kind of a thing can also potentially require accommodation and, and it, it provided, you know, the employee discloses that to the employer or at least indicates a need for that kind of accommodation. That's something that I think we will see. Um, and I'm interested to see where that's going to go. So that's another accommodation issue. Um, in terms of my other, going back to my other half about perceived or, you know, Stuart's question about what's reasonable, right? What's a real reason to send someone home? A real reason to send someone home is if there is a legitimate health and safety concern, if there's a risk of exposure to the virus, if there is a definitely health and safety risk at play, 100%. What is not okay is if someone is being sent home because, um, you know, they're perceived to have come into contact with the virus and the perception is coming from a code-based ground. Um, example could be, you know, sending someone home because you found out that they went to, um, I hate to say this, but it's the Chinese restaurant, right? Like that's like that. We were seeing stuff like that a couple, like up until a few weeks ago um, where people were unfortunately taking a, an attitude towards, like not everyone, but there was, some just levels of discrimination generally towards specific ethnic groups, uh, specific racial groups, um, all of these things in terms of not discriminating against someone because of their race, their color, their ethnic origin, all of these things still apply. And I think it's important when you're choosing to send an employee home to make sure that you have that legitimate reason. If, you know, if they've actually traveled, Right, like if they've actually traveled and you and you want to follow the government's advice to put them in self quarantine for fourteen days, by all means. But you know, if, if somebody close to them has traveled to the listed countries um, that are known to be high risk right now, like Iran, like Italy, like China, um, for sure. But if you're looking at someone and sending them home because you think, oh, you know, this person is more likely to have the virus because of my own thoughts about the fact that their family is from a certain part of the world. Right. That's not going to be okay, and and the the Ontario Human Rights Commission has come out quite strongly. Um, the last thing I'll say, I mean, there, I have so much more to say about this, but the last yeah. thing I'll we, say we is have to do another show just because there there's a lot more we we haven't got a lot through, more but. we could get through. I think you know the last thing I will say um, is that uh, anyone who is confused about sort of what human rights should look like in, like in this situation, I would strongly encourage you to go onto the Ontario Human Rights Commission's website and read the policy that they came out with a few days ago. It's excellent. Um, and, and it's, you know, I, I, even though the Human Rights Commission's words are not binding on the tribunal necessarily, they can be, in, in subsequent cases, they can be quite persuasive um, and, and at least a good guide for people you know, subject to any legal advice that they might need uh, to understand both as employers and employees what they should be doing. Um, the last, last point I'll make is also one thing that they've said in that policy is for employers in, in the accommodation of any of these kinds of 
coronavirus space leads to leads to try not to overburden the system with um, requests for medical notes substantiating substantiating and evidence or evidencing the need for relief because quite frankly like the doctors don't have capacity right now and the more we can avoid that and in this situation take people at their word for it um then yeah we've been talking about that in the last couple of years a lot and this just kind of emphasizes the point that you can't there are certain circumstances where a note is is appropriate yeah. in many cases it's not and now is certainly not the time so i think that's a great point um so i do want to do want to wrap up although i know we could go for another hour or two uh and i'm going to very generously donate my time that I would usually use to fire away myself. And I'm going to ask each of you to give me your, your top tip, or if you can find one that would apply to both sides, that's fine. If you want to do one from plays, one different players, uh, that's fine too. But we'll make, make it nice and quick and we'll go in the opposite order of how we started the show, uh, which means that Richa, you'll get the last word, but uh, <laughs> yeah. ready, uh, your, your top tip for uh, handling the workplace in the context of COVID-19. Uh, so my my top tip would be for employers is to document. I mean, like, this is this is usually my top tip about any employment <laughs> issue, but it's just document, document, document. Keep a record of of what you're doing, of why you're making certain decisions. Um, I think that that's crucial from an employer perspective is to make sure that you are creating this evidentiary record that is is going to be helpful for you, but also to make sure that for your own due diligence that you are you're going through the motions properly you are taking the appropriate steps um so that would be my number one tip uh for for employees is just stay safe and seek legal advice um if, if you can self-isolate definitely do so um if you feel like your employer is not treating you fairly or putting you in a high-risk situation you know it's important to be aware of your rights so don't be afraid to reach out to a lawyer or even take advantage of a lot of the free resources that are out there right now. And we've, Stuart, you mentioned we've published a lot of, of uh, material in the last few days and we're going to continue to do so. So definitely educate yourself on what your rights are. Um, but above all, be safe, take care of yourself. Hey, thanks. And Nadia and Rich, I know it's going to be impossible for lawyers, but if you can make your top tips in less than 30 seconds, okay. uh, that's your challenge. Okay. Uh, challenge, challenge accepted. So my main uh, tip for both employers and employees alike is to maintain communication. So this is more of a practical tip during these unprecedented and uncertain times. So employers, if possible, designate one person to be the official point of contact for employees. And this person should monitor all COVID-19 related updates and act accordingly. For employees, you should keep your employer informed of any COVID-19 related concerns. So for example, if you suddenly develop any symptoms or need to care for an ill family member, you should let your employer know promptly. Okay, thanks Nadia. And Richard, what about you? What's your top tip? Um, I think probably ask questions and realize that there are many, many people, both for employers and employees here to, to help you. I mean, that might be my, me in a long way saying le seek legal advice, but I think it is important to realize that there's going to be a lot of, for employers, a lot of liabilities coming out and for employees, a lot of very scary situations and hopefully not, but a, a lot of employers who may not be doing 
you know, things in a certain way or employees who might be do doing things in a certain way. So I think it's important to make sure that there are many, many resources deal trying to work together, community clinics, if you're under a certain income level, um, people like Stuart, like Brittany, like Nadia, who are working around the clock to you know, make sure that there are people, there's people like, available to answer your questions. There are. Um, and I think it's important that we recognize we're dealing with an unprecedented situation. Everyone is trying to figure out how to deal with this, but everyone's trying to figure out how to deal with this together. So we are here. Don't feel like you need to do this on your own in any way. And, and by all means, ask questions before you make decisions in, in this situation that may or may not you know, impact you later or, you know, ask questions before you sign off on something or agree to something or feel like something or, you know, acquiesce to something that may or may not be okay in the workplace. I think that's very important to remember as we deal with this. Great. Thanks, Richard. And that was actually a great segue. I mean, so thanks to all of you guys. I mean, that was a great discussion, which could have gone on for much longer. And uh, what I was going to say is that you don't need to do this alone. So I mean, Richard's got already said it, get proper advice, follow the information online, follow our blog, follow other reputable sources, but don't hesitate to reach out. And for uh, Rudner Law continues to operate. Uh, we are almost entirely paperless. Uh, we have cloud-based practice management systems, so we can work from anywhere, uh, which is great because we can work from home or anywhere else, but we are here to help you. Uh, things are changing by the hour, so please do follow. We're gonna have a, a blog that's gonna be up regularly. Follow our social media. But most importantly, and this I'll say what I say at the end of every show, which is that if you think you might need an employment lawyer, you probably do. Don't hesitate to reach out to us in these very unique, unprecedented circumstances, and we'd be glad to help you. Uh, just to wrap up, our next episode, unless we decide to do uh, an extra one, will be on Tuesday, April 21st. Uh, we'll be joined by Simon Parkin, who is a senior partner of HR and Talent Solutions at the Talent Company, also a very good friend of, of our firm's. Past episodes can be found on YouTube, on our website, and on Facebook. If you like our pages or subscribe to our channels, you'll get notifications. And of course, please sign up for our newsletter to get uh, all kinds of employment updates, including COVID-19 updates. Uh, so that's all I have for today. Thank you, Rob, uh, for managing not one, not two, but four lawyers. Uh, thank you, Rebecca and Mark. And again, Richa, Nadia, Brittany, thank you for all your help. Have a great day and stay safe. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sarah.